This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. If you even want to be a singer and a musician, play with it. It's yours. You don't have to get permission. You don't have to get a stamp of approval. You don't start with a melody and then try to write a love song. You don't start with a a word and then try to write a love melody. Mm -mm. It just, I'm telling you, it's like a dream. It's not something that you can, um, I mean, when you go to sleep at night, you don't know if you're going to dream, let alone what you're going to dream about. And for me anyway, uh, I hear it in my head and there it is. So I wish I could give you a ladder (laughs) up, but there is no such thing. You make it up. It's longing. It's emotion. We're going to do a song that we learned is written by Buffy St. Marie. Called Bury My Heart at Wounded Knee. Indian legislation's on the desk of a do right congressman. He don't know much about the issues, so he picks up the phone and asks the advice of the senator out in Indian country. Darling, are the energy companies who are ripping off what's left of the reservations? I learned a safety rule. Welcome to The Women, a production of iHeartRadio and myself, your host, Rose Reed. Every episode, I sit down with one person who has journeyed to do the extraordinary. And my guest today is the indigenous Canadian-American singer-songwriter, the iconic Buffy St. Marie. Buffy started performing in the early 60s alongside other folk artists like Bob Dylan and Joan Baez. Her songs like Universal Soldier, Until It's Time For You To Go, Codeine, Bury My Heart At Wounded Knee, are anthems for several generations. The only way that I could overcome stage fright when I first started was that I wasn't there to be a singer. I was there because of the content of the songs, whether it was a love song like Until It's Time For You To Go, which has its own message, or whether it was a, you know, a harder hitting uh, uh, you know, kind of journalistic news story song like Universal Soldier or Now That the Buffalo's Gone. I was there to deliver the content of the song to people who wouldn't otherwise hear it. Buffy also wrote the theme song to the 1982 movie An Officer and a Gentleman, Up Where We Belong, for which she was the first Indigenous person to receive an Academy Award as well as a Golden Globe. Her work has been covered by Elvis Presley, Kanye West, Courtney Love, Neil Diamond, Sonny and Cher, Barbara Streisand, and Celine Dion, and that's just naming a few of the great and very diverse group of artists who have felt drawn to the power of her words and the beauty of her music. He's the universal soldier, and he really is to blame. I know Buffy because her lyrics, her melodies, and really her spirit were flying all around my house growing up. My mom is an indoor singer and sleuth guitar player. You see, there's the Afros. And she has this infectious and insatiable love for music. The car, the kitchen, really our entire home was a place to sing and a place to dance. My love for Buffy intertwines with my nostalgia, being driven around Atlanta in my mom's blue Aerostar van. And it's also tied up with my affection for my mom. 
And as this week is Valentine's Day, which for so many of us, this holiday is a romantic event. But for me, my great love, although quite cheesy, is my mom. Okay. I gotta get the woman away. who introduced me to loving music with abandon and still encourages me to be bolder and braver. So to help me introduce Buffy and her music to you, we have a very special guest on the show today, my mom, Gail Reed. Yeah. All right. Okay. So tell me how you first learned about Buffy St. Marie or who is she? Who is Buffy St. Marie? She was an early 60s singer-songwriter. I was 14 years old when I started taking guitar lessons, and what I remember really clearly is that Universal Soldier was one of the first songs that I learned on guitar. So how did Universal Soldier make its way into your young 14-year-old canon? Um, Probably to introduce a new chord. You know, there's an F chord in it. That's probably how the... I learned to play the F. You know, this would have been in the late 60s already. It would have already been a hit. What do you think it is about the songs that you learn when you're really young that, like, just stick with you? I think because you play them over and over. The chords just become part of your muscle memory in your fingers, and you don't have to think about it. And the words become just part of your brain, so they just come out, and you're not really thinking, what's my next line? It's just so natural. So you're going to help me introduce Buffy to a new audience. One of the things that Joni Mitchell has said is that Buffy St. Marie is one of folk music's unsung heroes. Before we dive into this interview, do you think there's anything you want to tell me or listeners to contextualize listening to listening to this interview with Buffy? I think what I find so unique about Buffy is that She wrote these very sincere, blunt protest songs about a whole range of issues that she saw around her and felt were wrong, that she wanted to help right. And at the same time, she shows such depth of emotion in her love songs that for so long, I didn't realize so many of the songs that I I love that were such touching love songs were written by Buffy because they were recorded and covered by other popular artists who were frequently attributed uh, as having written the song. Buffy lives in a remote part of Hawaii, and she's been there since the 70s. So she and I spoke over the phone. Oh, hi, Rose. How are you? I'm overwhelmed and honored to say welcome to the women, Buffy St. Marie. Thank you. Same here. I wanted to start by playing an excerpt from your song, Universal Soldier. I think you weren't even 24 when you wrote it. Without him, Caesar would have stood alone. He's the one who gives his body as a weapon. Well, I had written a song because uh, we were being told in the 1960s that there was no war in Vietnam. Our president said so. Our Congress people said so. You hippies are crazy. But I ran into a group of medics wheeling wounded soldiers into an airport in San Francisco. And in talking to the medics, I realized that we were being fed a crock of baloney 
by a bunch of people who were just trying to get rich while they were killing people in Vietnam. You know, it was a, it was a businessman's war. And uh, I wrote Universal Soldier uh, that night uh, and also in the airplane uh, that I was waiting for, which was going to Toronto. So I wrote Universal Soldier in the basement of the, I finished it in the basement of the Purple Onion Coffee House, which uh, was in a place called Yorkville in Toronto, which was parallel to Greenwich Village in New York. Um, people loved the song immediately. I was singing for fellow students, and what I was was a student. I mean, the way the way that publicity and press and history and all go down, after 50 years of being in show business, they kind of encapsulate you <laughs> um, according to what they have seen you done. And in other countries, people have seen me do a whole lot of things. But in the U.S., where I was blacklisted, they only saw me for a couple of years, and then I was gone. Universal Soldier was uh, a song that I was writing about individual responsibility for the world we're living in and including war i mean war isn't just about a bunch of males go out and have a fight war has to be supported by their wives their mothers their girlfriends all of the voters i mean who is it who decides to have a war is it poor enlisted guys well they're not alone in it what about uh, career military officers who spend their entire adult lives getting advanced degrees in how to make war better You know, it's interesting for me to hear your viewpoint on the military training our government provides to soldiers. And there's so many political takes here on the military. But um, I have several generations of American soldiers on my father's side. Even my grandfather was a career army officer who came from a poor Depression era family in Atlanta. And he really saw the army as his only way to make a decent living. He fought in World War II, Korea, Vietnam. Um, and especially Vietnam was really conflicting for him. He told me that he thought Vietnam was not a good war, but he felt obligated to go and to train his men. And he always talked about how the army was really the only reason that he got to travel or get an education. What we still have not done is to found the colleges that would be parallel to Annapolis, to the Army College of War to the Air Force Academy and West Point and the Royal Military Academy. We have heavily funded colleges of war, and we still don't have one single similarly serious college uh, dedicated to alternative conflict resolution. He's five foot two, and he's six feet four. He fights with missiles and with spears. He's all of 31. And he's only 17. He's been a soldier for a thousand years. I'm going to capo it. Is that okay? These are the refrains of my childhood. Where's my pick? I need a capo. Yeah. Where's my capo? Okay, hold on. Let's talk. More singing. (laughs) They come from you and me. And brother, can't you see? This is not the way we put an end to war. You know, every night on the news, which was only a half hour each evening, they would have the news about the Vietnam War. They would have footage of the soldiers fighting the bombs going off, the napalm, 
And every night they had a body count. How many Americans died? How many Vietnamese died? How many North Vietnamese died? It was just really, um, it's when I stopped watching the news. Why do you think this song became an anthem for the 60s and moved so many people? Because everyone knew someone who was going off to war. You know, it wasn't a uh, volunteer army. There was a draft. You got your number, and you had a report, and you had to go. This song did so many things for Buffy because, in a way, it catapulted her into immediate fame and respect. And and on the other side, on her legacy side, she got blacklisted. You know, the Johnson presidency even, like, had her put on a blacklist. I never heard her sing on the radio. She never got airplay. Did you know it was part of a a strategic blacklisting? No, or? no. I, I mean, I've been I've been giving that thought, Rose, and the only difference I can come up with is the fact that Buffy St. Marie is an indigenous person. Bob Dylan, Joni Mitchell, Donovan, they're all white people of European descent. So I was out here singing Universal Soldier as a student who had just graduated with a degree in Oriental philosophy, and I thought I was going to India to become a philosophy teacher (laughs) and to study the ways of art and how creativity can work with the creator in creating a whole new world. So even though I didn't get to go to India because of a technicality with my college, um, my, um, my motivation and my mission just switched from Oriental philosophy professor to, you know what, I'm going to do the best that I can right here where I am. Um, so really, I, as, a, as, a, as a songwriter, I thought that was one of the ways that I might be able to make my own dreams of peace on earth true. My own dreams of equality for everybody, including let's let everybody know how cool Indians are. So, so my life has become, <laughs> has become um, I've put out 21 records, 21 albums, and um, it's done a lot of writing and traveling and talking to people. But really, I'm still like that little three-year-old who saw a piano for the first time and realized that I could create fun with it that I could have a good time and then I could make new things that nobody ever heard before. Buffy St. Marie was born in 1941 on a reservation in Saskatchewan, Canada. She was adopted and raised by a Massachusetts couple, and her adopted mother believed that she herself was of Indigenous descent. Buffy thought that she was abandoned, but later in life, through her new network of artist friends, learned that she was taken from her biological family during one of the efforts to re-educate and replace Native American children. She reunited with her family and her tribe and has been very open about her experience. Last year, Andrea Warner published an authorized biography on Buffy, and it's a deep dive into her life and her songs and her fraught experience with the music industry. I was, I was just green right out of college. I was trying my luck at singing. I sang Universal Soldier, which I had just written, in a Greenwich Village coffee house. The highwaymen heard it. They were just coming off a hit called Michael Roll the Boat Ashore. So they had a number one hit, and they wanted to record my song. And they said, well, who's the publisher? 
And I said, well, I don't have one. I'm just new here. And um, there was a businessman at the next table who was sitting with some people I knew, and he offered, oh, wonderful man that he was, to be the publisher and to keep all the publishing money, and he assured me that I would still get the writer's share. <laughs> and I was so stupid, I said, okay, where do I sign? So for $1, I sold the rights to Universal Soldier. You know, it was a very hard thing to come to grips with this um, when I first started out in show business and realized how green and naive I was to give away that publishing that way. Also, when I signed my first record contract, um, Vanguard said, who's your lawyer? I said, I don't have one. They said, that's okay, you can use ours. So I was signed to this crappy deal for seven years. I have to admit that reading about, you know, what you define as a mistake and how you learn from it not only helped me feel better about my own, but it was also a real education and... Um, how to move forward and how to move beyond and really keep going and thinking about the next thing. I had a teacher's degree. And for a lot of my hidden life in the U.S., uh, people in other countries would know, but for a lot of um, my invisibility in the U.S., I was running um, a teaching project. Uh, I've been working with universities in their teacher ed departments to teach, uh, to teach um, emerging and uh, uh, established teachers how to teach about Native American everything. I think your fans can see the teacher side of you and your website, for example, on the page called Universal Soldier In-Depth. It goes through Universal Soldier line by line, and it really gives a different perspective when you understand what the song is really about. For instance, Universal Soldier starts out and it says, he's five foot two and he's six feet four. And that sounds like some poet talking, but actually it was just me. I made Universal Soldier bulletproof. You, there are footnotes. <laughs> there are, I, can, it, I, I can back it up all the way. So he's five foot two and he's six feet four. Is not Buffy being poetic. Those were the height parameters in the 1960s for um, military service. He fights with missiles and with, with spears. He's all of 31 and he's only 17. He's been a soldier for a thousand years. Those were the age parameters. So if you look at that document, Universal Soldier in Depth, you'll see what the song is about just line by line by line. And I don't know if there are a whole lot of people who do that. That's true. You don't see many official websites with comprehensive analyses uh, on the lyrics or behind a particular song. What is the process of your writing? Do you think of yourself as a soldier standing on the battlefield or imagine what it would feel like to get your number called during a draft? No, I don't do any of that. <laughs> I don't do any of that. I, I write I write whenever I hear a song in my head. To me, it's the same as dreaming. You know, you go to bed, you don't know what you're going to dream or if you're going to dream. It's always a surprise. But in spite of your experience in the music industry in your, your early years, by virtue of, you know, really your longevity in this industry, you've learned from your mistakes and you've almost, I mean, it it seems like to me that you've almost mastered how to navigate the pitfalls of the music business. You really do it um, your way. So your little profile of me, it's going to be, it's a little different because I have been removed very deliberately from the consciousness of people like yourself. Not recently and not because you're very young and I'm very old. No, because of political reasons, because of people not wanting certain pieces of information um, interfering with their, whatever it is they're 
doing to make money. And um, But, you know, there's something bigger, Rose. There's something behind this that's bigger that has, again, to do with uh, intersectionality. And, you know, you mentioned that, well, not only are businessmen in show business like that, but some politicians are like that. Well, here's the key to the whole thing. Whether you're talking about the abuse of women, the importance of money, male power, indigenous people, um, you know, othering everybody except our side, something that was perfected throughout Europe and the Middle East. I mean, the whole pecking order idea is not human nature. The pecking order, has, that's the way chickens treat each other. That's the way goats and other herd animals Flock animals and herd animals, they treat each other in such a way that there are a lot of people on the bottom complaining, just like today. Bullies. There are many, many societies in the world who are not like the pecking order that we find ourselves um, challenging even today. I mean, we might challenge it as indigenous people. We might challenge it as, um, as you know, thinkers or as women or as children, but you know what? The problem is not any of our individual problems. The problem is this monster pecking order that's sitting on top of all of us, and it's just plain got to ripen, change. We're all part of it. It doesn't have to be violent. We have to learn how to raise children in a non-bullying situation, but most parents have never given any consideration to that. You know, They blow their top, they yell at the kid. The kid grows up to be an asshole. One of the quotes from your biography that I loved was, quote, that anger is not enough to make change and that today when you write a protest song, it has to be more than just emotional and angry to be effective. That really is the word. When it comes to protest songs, a lot of people just think you get up and yell and you anger and you just, you know, pee on your opponent or something, you know. And that's the old way of thinking. That's the old European pecking order way of thinking. Oh, you throw a truck at me, I'm going to throw a tank at you. <laughs> you know, it's really babyish um, barnyard behavior. It's not the way we have to be. And it's not even the way we usually are, but... Sometimes there's a lot of it around, and sometimes there isn't, depending upon how well you and I have done our homework. The way I look at it is like this. We live in a wood house. There will be termites. Not because we're bad, not because wood is bad, not because we're stupid, but because termites eat wood. And predators, including financial predators and other bullies in the world, that they're like termites. Don't take it personally. We all suffer by it. I mean, the kitchen, the bedroom, the bathroom, the living room, they're all going to get eaten by the termites unless we take care. If we, are, if we elect people and then turn our backs, they're going to do what they do. Power is going to corrupt. If we keep an eye on the chicken house after we let the foxes in, there'll be much less damage. So I don't take it personally, the... Um, the pecking order and the the bullying of colonialism is what we're growing out of. So I don't spend a whole lot of time just staring at it and trying to analyze it. I know what it is. It's old-fashioned, it's obsolete, it's unfair, and it's got to go. I'm not a queen, I'm a woman, take my hand. I'll make a space in the lives that we planned. Here we'll 
to go How do you think this is such a good example of like a love song or like Buffy's poetry? Well, because it's so um, fleeting. You know, it's not a forever thing, which for so many people is impossible. I think people can really envision themselves in the the heat of passion. And, you know, these are people that, that you also, because of the way it's written, it's so, there's so much mystery to it. You don't really know the story. Why can't, he stay. Why, you know, why do they have to part? Why do they know that from the very beginning? Is it because they're Probably both because he's a jerk. committed? No, I don't. <laughs> we both know you're an asshole, so let's just enjoy this moment. No, that's not the story, Rose. That's a terrible story. No, that's not it. The story is, you know, these people fall in love. It's, I'm telling you, it's, it's Lara and Shivago and Rick <laughs> and Ilsa. Yeah, Casablanca. But it also has such beautiful um, metaphors, you know, the tree metaphor. And then you could have stayed outside my heart, but then you came. I mean, that's just so beautiful. I know. If you don't cry listening to this song, there's something wrong with you. Yeah. I'm not a king, I'm just a man. Take my hand. It's inspiring to me to see the ways in which you got stronger and learn from those hard lessons from your youth and have truly gotten to know yourself. There's a really lovely story in your biography of the phone call that you got from a man representing Elvis Presley who said that Elvis wanted to, to cover your song uh, until it's time for you to go. This is a song that really pulls on the heartstrings. Um, I'll just read a, a couple of lines from one verse. This love of mine had no beginning. It has no end. I was an oak. Now I'm a willow. Now I can bend. And though I'll never in my life see you again, I will stay until it's time for you to go. I mean, I can see why Elvis wanted to cover this. But um, do you remember, were you in Hawaii when he called or were you stateside? No, I was right down the street, and I was in Nashville, and Elvis had just recorded my song, and I had just finished recording one of Elvis's B-sides called My Baby Left Me, (laughs) and the phone rang, and it was one of Elvis's guys. He said, Elvis has just recorded your song, and we're going to have to have some of that publishing money, honey. (laughs) But I had learned with Universal Soldier. I said no. It was already a hit. It was already a standard, and Elvis didn't write it. So I said no, and I have continued to say no. Elvis happened to record it nine times, and every time they they tried to get some of the publishing, but Elvis still hadn't written it, so I kept on saying no. And was that disappointing, your childhood crush, Elvis, wanting to sing your song, a song that really touched him, and then this pressure from his people to give up a share of your royalties? No, that was true. That, that's all true. No, no, I was thrilled that, that you know, uh, Until It's Time for You to Go was Elvis and Priscilla's love song. And, um, you know, that that was lovely. And I, I had recorded it a, several years before. Roberta Flack had recorded it. Barbara Streisand recorded it. So it's not as though it was an unknown song that Elvis was going to make famous. No, it wasn't at all. So I, I, it was very easy for me to say, nope, you didn't write it. And I was very conscious 
for other um, um, uh, songwriters who would be impacted. And what does it mean to let a song go and let it have a life of its own? Well, it's full of surprises because um, even though people might change your song a little bit, you know, they might change the words or this or that. It's just a great compliment, just the idea that somebody else would like a song enough to take it into her life or his life and give it to his friends and his audiences and his band, you know, and trot it out every night and everybody loves it. It's just exciting. It's very beautiful. This love of mine had no beginning. It has no end I was an oak Now I'm a willow And I can bend Though I'll never In my life See you again Here I'll stay Until it's time For you to go Yes I'll stay until it's time for you to go. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, price line. Hi, Buffy. Hi. Hi, Buffy. <laughs> you have Rose and you have Gail. Hi, Rose and Gail. I'm I'm Rose's mom. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah go ahead Rosie yeah go ahead mom no you you go we're finally getting to use the beautiful interview we did last year and I thought it'd be great to just catch you for a few minutes but we're theming it it's because it's coming out right before Valentine's Day and so you know my love for Buffy my my appreciation for music comes from my mother and I thought it would be great to oh, sweet. <laughs> Yeah, it, yeah. <laughs> Thank yeah, you. My both. heart's pounding a little bit because um, I just turned sixty-five last week. But I will tell you, as a fourteen-year-old, I took guitar lessons uh, in my home on Long Island, and one of the very first songs that I learned to sing and play was "Universal Soldier." Well, thank you for mentioning it. <laughs> yeah. Hey, I forgot it was Valentine's Day, but since you're going to do a Valentine's Day show, can I make a couple of requests? Yes. There's a song that I co-wrote, and it's called Nobody Will Ever Know It's Real But You. And most people will associate love songs, my love songs, with Until It's Time for You to Go and Up Where We Belong. But neither one of them are as good as Nobody Will Ever Know It's Real But You. Do you have to be in love to write a love song? Mm, mine, I have been. I guess you don't have to be at the moment. For instance, if I'm gonna, if I were gonna score a movie and somebody wanted a love song, um, I would probably tap into my memories and my song books and come up with something that would, some you know, kind of match the movie. But the original inspiration for me, I, I don't make it up. 
it, it is inspired, and at least for me, the songwriter, that's why it's wonderful. That's why it's fun, and that's why I feel really good about sharing it with other people, because it's the real deal. Don't ask forever You know, I was telling my mom earlier that uh, just even hearing the strum of the guitar to me like releases oxytocin in my brain. I just it's such a familiar (laughs) sweet. It's such a familiar sound of of everything being good in the house, mom being happy. And our home was such a place where you could sing and dance. And songs like yours are really a big part of that. And the lyrics that you've given us from history lessons to love songs is such a gift and you know it's a gift that we don't carry lightly or take for granted and i would just want to thank you for yeah i want to thank you for getting on the phone for a second time um, with me and and my mom you guys are lucky yeah Yeah, we are well i wish you lovely ladies lots of love and lots of love with your valentine don't forget to be your own valentine too same to you buffy Aloha. Right. Bye. Bye-bye. Take care. Aloha. Bye-bye. You could still be an Indian down at the wild on Saturday night. Mom, thank you for introducing me to Buffy, to music, to singing to myself, and for introducing Buffy to the women. It is my pleasure and my honor Happy Valentine's Day, Gail. Happy Valentine's Day, Rose. You will always be my Valentine. Thank God. (laughs) (sighs) And if you want to hear more of me and my mom, Gail, talking about music, we have a little music mini-series podcast called Details, Please, that you can get wherever you listen to podcasts. You can dive into the world of Buffy's poetry and history and her music, and maybe even get one of her limited reissues of vinyl. Find her on Twitter at Buffy St. Marie. That's Buffy, B-U-F-F-Y, St, S-T-E, Marie, M-A-R-I-E. The Women is a production of iHeartRadio and myself, your host, Rose Reed. Holly Fry is our executive producer. This episode was mixed by Adrian Lilly. Special thanks to Sabine Jansen, Nora Kipnis, and the iHeart team. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at The Women Pod. For a list of all the songs featured in this episode, please visit thewomenpod.com. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio or to listen to Buffy's music on iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. I feel like we're taking marriage vows here. And if you enjoyed this episode, rate and review us or tell a friend. It really helps people find our show. Who talks like that? No, I don't know. God, Rose, don't be so critical. (laughs) Is this how you talk to your other people? I don't think so.